Welcome to New Life. If you're new, I'm Pastor Chris, the lead pastor here. If you've been here before, we welcome you once again. And uh, I have to say, I've been going for a while. Some of you probably noticed that. We, we were in Israel for a couple of weeks. I was in Texas for a week, that other foreign country that's sort of part of this country. Um, and I'm so glad to be back with you. And we're starting a new series today. It's called Generosity. So I do what I often do when we start a new series. I Googled the word generosity. Before I actually tell you what I found when I Googled it, what do you feel when I say the word generosity? Do you feel joy? Do you feel pain, anger, guilt, warmth? What is it? Well, I came up with this cbsnews.com article titled 10 Inspiring Acts of Generosity. And the author wrote these words, people generally aren't used to kindness from strangers. Most of us are too wrapped in our lives to pay much attention to anyone else. That's why it's so striking when strangers do something unexpected. The act may be as simple as holding the door open for someone else or letting a person go first in line. Even the smallest actions can have an impact. With some people, though, the well of generosity runs deep. They do incredible things to improve other lives, opening their pocketbooks or going the extra mile in unexpected ways. Each of these actions changed lives and in some cases saved lives. And nearly each one inspired others to act a little kinder or give more of themselves. Good deeds are funny like that. So the article went on to list these 10 amazing acts of kindness. And uh, the first was this person went in to buy a wedding dress and instead bought a wedding dress for a total stranger. The next one, there was this 19-year-old college kid, and he heard about this man from Detroit who was a factory worker, and he walked 21 miles and took two buses every day to and from work for his 10.55 an hour job. And so the college kid started a GoFundMe page for the man, and $350,000 was raised. And then a local Ford dealer gave the guy a Ford Taurus, and then two local financial managers agreed to manage the guy's money for free. Another person bought groceries for somebody. Another person gave an $800 tip at a restaurant. And finally, this lady got $150,000. She won it, I think, and then she gave it to the school district where she teaches. So such acts of generosity do inspire. And as Peterson, the author of the article, said, even the smallest actions can have an impact. With some people, though, the well of generosity runs deep. They do incredible things to improve other lives opening their pocketbooks or going the extra mile in unexpected ways. And when we hear or read about people that are generous like that, it makes us feel sort of good. Or more recently, when Lamar Hamlin, the Buffalo Bill who lay almost dying on the field, you know, and overnight, millions of dollars came into his GoFundMe charity. And we feel great about stories like that, don't we? But how about this? How do you and I feel when you hear that we're going to talk about generosity? I mean, are you eager for this series about time, talents, treasure, and touch? We do it every year. Does it get you excited? Well, all right. Three people said yes. First three people all weekend out of about 700. But anyway, um, the reality is this. Uh, we don't always think about that. Peterson acknowledged a lot of times we're sort of wrapped up in our own stuff and we don't think about other people. But followers of Jesus are called to live generously. Loving our one, which we talked about all of January, half of February, it's nothing more or less than thinking less about ourselves and thinking about other people, being generous towards them. Now, doing that is not natural and it's not normal until Jesus becomes Lord in our lives. Once we've received Jesus' love, 
Nothing is more natural than giving it away to others. Secular study after secular study, though, shows that giving is actually good for our bodies and it's good for our brains. But that's not why we give as followers of Jesus. Those are just happy byproducts of generosity. When we give our time, our talents, our treasure and touch, in Jesus' name, we do what he would do if he were us. I have said many times that we can't always do what Jesus would do. Remember the WWJD bracelets, what would Jesus do? Well, I can't always do what Jesus would do. I was on the... I was going to say I was on the Sea of Galilee a few weeks ago, which I was in a boat, but I actually, I, you know, I didn't really try walking on the Sea of Galilee. I did go swimming in the Sea of Galilee, and I found out it's really cold in January when you go swimming in the Sea of Galilee, but I couldn't walk on the water. I couldn't calm the storm. I couldn't make water into wine. None of us can, but here's what we can do. Every single one of us can do this. We can do what Jesus would do if he were us. If he woke up, you know, in my body, in your body, he would do certain things. And we can do those things because by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can. So these four weeks, we're going to look at what it means to live generously with our time, with our talent, with our treasure, and with our touch. And as we do that, I just want you to sit back and listen because you're going to learn some things that are going to help you to live lives that make a difference to others and as importantly, it's going to help you to live the best life you have ever lived yourself. Because here's the thing. Generosity is a win-win situation. When we give, others are blessed. That's for sure. And we receive a greater blessing. That's what Jesus said. So as we think about generosity with our time, I have a question. Have you ever had enough time to do everything you wanted to get done? Have you ever had enough time to get everything done that you wanted to get done? Well, most of us would say no. I've said probably hundreds, probably thousands of times, I don't have enough time. But here's the truth, and it's our take-home point today. If you're new, the take-home point is the one point I hope that we will take home and live it out in the week ahead, and here it is. When we follow God's plan, we always have enough time. When we follow God's plan, we always have enough time. And I know some of you are going, yeah, right. Like, I don't care if I'm following God's plan or whose plan. I don't have enough time. And I get it. But today's scriptures will show us that we have exactly enough time to do what God wants us to do when we start with the right view of God, when we understand how we aren't supposed to live, when we trust Jesus, and when we live in the Holy Spirit's power. Those are the four points. Fear God. Avoid evil, trust Jesus, and live in the Holy Spirit's power. So before we get to the scripture, let's pray once again. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here with you. I thank you that I have the opportunity to be with these brothers and sisters in your name. And I thank you that we have the opportunity to consider what it means to live like you, to live generously today with our time. God, I pray that you'll open up your word to us. We know it is the word of the living God, and we pray that you will impress it in our hearts, our minds, our spirits, souls, and bodies so that by your Holy Spirit, we can live this day with just enough time to do what it is you call us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our first reading comes from King Solomon. He wrote a book that's called Ecclesiastes. And the word Ecclesiastes is a funny word, right? But it actually means one who convenes an assembly or a preacher. 
Now, it doesn't say that King Solomon is the preacher, but here's what we know. He talks about all these different ways of living that are futile, and in many of them, you would have to be like the richest guy in the world to even be able to consider living that way, which he was at the time. And so we know from that that King Solomon wrote it. So we're going to look at these verses from chapter 7. Solomon says, I have seen everything in this meaningless life, including the death of good young people and the long life of wicked people. So don't be too good or too wise. Why destroy yourself? On the other hand, don't be too wicked either. Don't be a fool. Why die before your time? Pay attention to these instructions for anyone who fears God will avoid both extremes. So Solomon made two points. The first point he makes is simply this, that we can die before our time. Now, a lot of people believe that there's a certain time we're all going to die, or you're going to die, I'm going to die. It's, it's, it's already, we can't do anything about it. But if that's the case, then why did Solomon ask the question, why die before your time? If God's established an exact moment, then how is it possible that we could die before that moment? And this is an important question when we're thinking about being generous with our time, because if I can get a little bit more time, then I could be a little bit more generous, right? So anyway, Sol or Solomon told us not to be too good or too bad. That's a little fatalistic, don't you think? Don't be too good, don't be too bad. Well, let me give you an update on that, because Solomon didn't know Jesus. Jesus came along a thousand years after Solomon. Guess what Jesus said? He didn't say, don't be too good or too bad. He said, you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus called us to live fully, to line our lives with God's plan and purpose for our lives. That's what Jesus said. Solomon gave us another point. It's actually our first point in using our time generously. The first point is fear God. Solomon, in the midst of all this futility, he said, you know what we all need to do? We all need to fear God. Between the services, somebody came up to me and said, what does it actually mean to fear God? I said, it means to be afraid of him because he can kill you. <laughs> That's what it means. And it also means to revere him, to respect him, to honor him. Any good thing you can think about what it would be to do towards God, that's what fear God means. And here's the thing. We are not going to do that. We're not going to do that until we believe he is who he said he is. And God is the creator of every good thing. And here's the thing that we all need to know when we're talking about generosity. God is the author of generosity. I want you to understand something. Our generosity, whether we acknowledge it or not, all generosity, whether we acknowledge it or not, is part of the overflow of God's goodness. God is the generous one, and he flows into us, and it flows out of us. When we experience God's love through Jesus, when we start to recognize God's holiness, his purity, his power, and love, we start to use our time to honor him. The first step in being generous with our time is to recognize we serve a holy God, a God who is good to us, and who gives us every good gift so we can share it with others and keep some for ourselves. So our next scripture comes from the book of Job. If you've ever heard of the book of Job, you probably know Job was a guy who was blessed. He had children, he had lots of stuff, and then along came Satan and took away all of his children and all of his stuff. Job was left diseased with a nagging wife and three friends who weren't really much help. In fact, the three friends were helpful for seven days. Because they showed up and for seven days they just sat there. 
They didn't say a word. But when they opened up their mouth, you know what they started doing? They started accusing Job. They said, you know, Job, nobody would have anything bad like this happen if you weren't so bad. You've got to stop sinning. You've got to repent. And you know why they said that? Because there's this idea, it's still out there in the world, that bad things only happen to bad people. And you know, bad things do happen to bad people. <laughs> but guess what? We live in a fallen world, so bad things happen to good people too. But in the midst of all these conversations, Eliphaz, one of Job's friends, said this, Will you keep to the old way that wicked men have trod? They were snatched away before their time. Their foundation was washed away. They said to God, depart from us, and what can the Almighty do to us? Yet he filled their houses with good things, but the counsel of the wicked is far from me. So do you see Eliphaz's point? He thought that Job was like the wicked men, right, who were snatched away before their time. What Eliphaz is saying is, Job, you're going to die before you're supposed to die if you keep doing this stuff. So here's that idea once again that we can have our life end prematurely. Eliphaz thought Job was like all these other people who didn't even acknowledge that every good thing comes from God. There's a lot of what Eliphaz says here that's right. Every good thing does come from God. Every good gift in life comes from God. Now, Eliphaz offers us our second step on the path to using our time generously. I already said first is fear God. Second is avoid evil. While Eliphaz judged Job incorrectly, he is correct that if we want to use our time generously, wouldn't that start by not doing bad things? And you're sitting there going, duh. Of course. So why do I bring it up? Why do I bring up that we shouldn't do bad things? Because you know what? In America, statistically speaking, if you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, you're just as likely to lie. You're just as likely to cheat on a test. You're just as likely to watch pornography. You're just as likely to be unfaithful to your spouse. Doesn't matter if you're a Christian or if you're not. It's just as likely that you're going to do evil. And so I'm saying if we're going to give our way our time and our talents and our treasure and our touch, the first thing we need to do is fear God and we need to avoid evil. Because God gives us the gift of time, whether it's seconds or minutes or hours or days or weeks or months or years, to do good. That's why he put us here. Being generous with our time starts by plotting to do each other good and doing good in our own lives because generosity flows from goodness. Remember what Kim, Peter Kim Peterson said? She said, people generally are too wrapped up or too, aren't used to kindness from strangers because most of us are too wrapped up in our lives to pay much attention to anyone else. Selfishness is the root of evil. Once we focus on God, once we live in Jesus' name in the Holy Spirit's power, we start living generously. And that leads us to point three or step three in the process of becoming generous with our time. First, we fear God. Second, we avoid evil. And third, we trust Jesus. Look what the Apostle Paul said about Jesus' timing in our lives and how it impacts us. He said, and this is in Romans chapter 5, he says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time. I put the word chiron there. We're going to come back to that. It's a Greek word. And died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. 
And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Now I put the word chiron in parentheses because the Greeks had two words for time. The first word is chronos. Chronos is the word from which we get chronology. We get the fancy word for a wristwatch, a chronometer. But it's just clock time. That's all it is. But there's another word for time, kairos. It's God's time. And notice it says at just the right time. It wasn't just the right moment in history. It was the right moment in eternity because kairos isn't bound by time. So just at that right time, what did Jesus do? He came into the world to take broken, sinful, fallen people and make us brand new. That's what Jesus came to do. And that brings us... Hmm. Oh, I was a page ahead. I'm excited today. Can you tell that? I don't know about you, but I love talking about generosity. So anyway, I want you to think about this. You're just about to die. But if you can get somebody who will die in your place, you don't have to die. Oh, okay, that means you're going to die. <laughs> what, what, is, what does Paul say? He says, you know, it's pretty hard to get somebody willing to die for you. But maybe for a good person, somebody would die. And then he says this, he underlines, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So if you're here today and you think that you're so bad that God can't love you, that nobody can love you, you have to think again. <laughs> because while we were all still sinners, Jesus died for us because God loves us. Now, if you're sitting here in the room today and you're thinking, well, I'm pretty good. Like, I don't really think I need God. If there is a God, I'm not sure I really need God. Well, think again, too, because nobody is good enough. We are all sinners. We're all broken. We're all fallen people, and Jesus died for each and every one of us. And, you know, in, if we went ahead to Romans 8, it doesn't just say he died for us. It says he died for us. He rose for us. He reigns in power over us. He prays for us at this very instant. Why be generous with our time? How about this? Generosity with our time is the least we can do considering all that Jesus has done for us. If somebody saved our physical lives, wouldn't we be thankful? Wouldn't we want to give them something? Wouldn't we want to spend time with that person, maybe get to know them a little bit? And Jesus has saved our eternal lives. Investing time with him and advancing his kingdom is a token of our gratitude. Once we've trusted Jesus, Savior and Lord, he gives us a brand new life. We get to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. We get to live differently. Many people have said to me over the years, hundreds of people have said to me over the years, well, I might follow Jesus sometime, but I don't want to do it now. Because if I follow Jesus now, I'm not going to have any more fun the rest of my life. <laughs> Nothing could be farther from the truth. In fact, we can't really live life that's truly life until we are freed from sin and death and Jesus becomes Lord in our lives because the word redemption means freedom. And that comes from the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. And then once we have that love in our lives, we get to share that love with God, with each other, with our neighbors, with our friends, with, our, with enemies, with strangers, all those people we talked about in January and February. And we get to do it and we can do it because of the Holy Spirit, which does then bring us to our fourth way that we can use time generously. First, we have to what? Fear God. Second thing, avoid evil. 
Third, trust Jesus. And fourth is live in the Holy Spirit's power. The Apostle Paul said an awful lot about living in the Holy Spirit's power in his letter to the Ephesian church. In chapter 5, starting in verse 15, he wrote these words, Look carefully then how you walk, that is how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time. The word is chiron again because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Paul does use the word kairos again, and that's the secret to having enough time. Living in Kairos, in God's time, means that we live according to his plan and not according to ours. I'm going to say something right now. I'm actually going to say it twice, and you're not going to like it. I'm just going to give you that heads up. Okay, here it is. The reason we don't have enough time to do everything we want to do is because much of what we want to do is a waste of time in the first place. We don't have enough time to do everything we want to do because much of what we want to do is a waste of time in the first place. And now before you start throwing, you know, bricks and rocks at me, because you're saying, Chris, you're saying that I waste time? Yes, I'm saying that all of us waste time until and unless we have the Holy Spirit's presence and power. That's the only way we will ever walk wisely. It's the only way that we will ever make the best use of every moment. That's what Paul tells us to do. In his book, Holy Moments, Matthew Kelly wrote this, a holy moment is a single moment in which you open yourself to God. You make yourself available to him. You set aside personal preference and self-interest and for one moment, you do what you prayerfully believe God is calling you to do. And Kelly points out that the beauty of holy moments is you don't have to go to seminary for three years to get a degree to do that. All you have to do is know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Every single one of us can live a holy moment right now. You could go out from this worship service and do a holy moment. You already know how because you already have Jesus in your life. You already have the Holy Spirit leading and guiding. So at any moment, what can we do? We can make ourselves available to God. We can turn away from our preferences and our self-interest. And for one moment, just one moment, We can do what we prayerfully believe God is calling us to do. Because we have the Holy Spirit available to us, we can do that all the time. Notice when Paul wrote these words in Ephesians 5, he said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what we don't know in English is that in Greek it means be being filled. It's over and over and over again. If right now you feel like you don't have any Holy Spirit in you, it's not because he left. It's just because of us. But at any moment, we can say, fill us, and he will. And once the Holy Spirit fills us, then we can set aside our self-interest, our our preferences, and we can do in that moment what God wants us to do. And look what Paul says will happen when the Holy Spirit's leading our lives. The first thing he said is, we won't need artificial means of excitement. We won't need to have drunkenness with wine or other drugs. And we'll sing. We'll sing together. Praises to God. And when we're not together we'll sort of sing to ourselves. You know, that's going to start happening when the Holy Spirit's in our life. We'll find ourselves all of a sudden, we're just remembering that song from worship and we're singing it and we're praising God in our heart. And he says, we'll give thanks to God for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and we'll do something that no human being ever does willingly 
until the Holy Spirit isn't. We will voluntarily put ourselves under the authority of other people out of reverence for Jesus Christ. That's what we will do when the Holy Spirit is leading. And when we live that way, one moment, and then the next moment, and then the next moment, eventually we will be giving away our time and our talent and our treasure and touch according to God's plan and not our own. Our lives will be about the business of doing what God has equipped us and prepared us to do, really as the Word of God says, before the foundation of the universe. That's God's plan for us. Because it's God's plan, it's possible but it's only possible in the Holy Spirit's power. You know, we don't have to settle for reading 10 inspiring accounts of people who gave wedding dresses to a stranger or who, you know, helped a a poor guy in Detroit to to not be poor anymore or who gave a, a big tip at a restaurant. We don't have to wait for all of those things because in 10 moments, we can do 10 holy things ourselves and we can live those holy moments every single day simply by I'm going to say it for the third time, making ourselves available to God, setting aside our own preferences, setting aside our selfishness, and in that moment, prayerfully doing whatever it is that God calls us to do. We don't have to imagine that. We can do it every single day. The world is waiting desperately for someone to be kind. It doesn't have to be a big deal. If you go out there in the world today, there's a bunch of people with their heads hanging down and their hearts are broken and they're not even sure like life is worth it. And it might just take a smile, somebody opening a door that they mentioned, some little thing and then somebody, you know, somebody mentioned to me, somebody gave them a coupon for a free haircut the other day. Now I'm sure that they just want you to go to their place so that you'll start getting your haircut there. But a free haircut's a free haircut. But she said, I was sort of down. It made me feel good. And that's the truth. We have a bunch of people, billions of them out there, who are just waiting for the church to be the church. For us to be, you know what Jesus called us? Salt. In his day, salt was used to preserve things. It was used to heal things. It was used for taste, just like it is these days. And he calls us to do that. He calls us to be light. We all know what light does. It takes darkness away. And the world's out there waiting for us to do that. And and we get to do that in small ways and big ways every single day. And we all have just enough time to do all those things that God calls us to do every single moment. And that's why today's next step is, I will make the most of the time by living God's plan this week. It starts with fearing God, avoiding evil, trusting Jesus, and living in the Holy Spirit's power. And I have some really good news for you. If I were to ask you, what do you think God wants you to do this week? First answer I can give you. I can give this answer to probably 99 out of 100 of you. He wants you to do less this week than you did last week. In other words, he wants you to stop doing some stuff you've been doing, which was just wasting your time. And then he wants you probably to just sit there for a minute. Because how are we going to know what God wants us to do if we don't sit there for a minute? He wants us to actually stop and consider what he wants us to do. And I'm not going to give you a bunch of spiritual sounding stuff that that I'm going to ask you to do because you can figure it out. But here's what I want you to know. Here's a holy moment. Last Sunday afternoon after the team member summit, I was driving home and I thought of this lady. She's like a second mother to me. And since my biological mother's been in heaven for 33 years, you know, she's important to me. But not very important apparently because I hadn't called her for several months. And I thought to myself, I need to call her. And so I called her up. I said, hey, how you doing? And she said, oh, I fell last week and I broke a couple ribs and I blackened my eye. 
I said, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And she goes, yeah, and second week of January, my mother died. If she would have lived, she would have been 99 in March. But yeah, and the day we buried her, her, Kevin, which was her son, Kevin's neighbor, who helps him a lot with things, died. And she said, and, you know, and my husband is still bedridden as he has been for several years. And so it was a 15-minute conversation. And at the end of that conversation, none of those realities were different. But at the end of the conversation, she said to me, Chris, I love you and I'm so proud of you. I'm a 65-year-old man who has a second mother who thinks that she's still going to love me and that she's proud of me. You know, I thought I was offering her a holy moment. Turned out she was offering me one. And, you know, that's how it works in the economy of God. When we go out there offering holy moments, holy moments, holy moments, we'll receive them. Because Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So this week, starting probably right after this service ends, there might be somebody you need to call on your way home. There might be somebody right here in this room that you need to talk with. Maybe you need to meet somebody. A holy moment doesn't take sometimes more than a minute. Might take the rest of your life. That's the thing about holy moments. You can't really tell how long they're going to last because this isn't about chronological time. It's about God's time. Kairos. Amen? So you know what I said? I said that the third step in being generous with our time is to trust Jesus. Well, actually, that's the first step. Because we're not going to fear God if we don't trust Jesus. And we're not going to avoid evil if we don't trust Jesus. So it starts with trusting Jesus. And here at New Life, we talk about Jesus as Savior, which means rescuer from sin and death, and Lord, which means owner or master or God. And the reality is that some of you today is your kairos moment, the moment in all of eternity when God wants to come into relationship with you through his son, Jesus. And here at New Life, we say to do that, it's not easy, but it's simple. It's as simple as A, B, C. A means admit. Admit that you're a sinner. Admit that you have wasted time and talent and treasure and touch far too often. B, believe. Believe that Jesus, just like Romans 5 verse 8 says, (laughs) here's what God did to show us his love. He rescued us while what? We were still sinners. And then after we believe that Jesus is God, that he is Lord, that he is Savior, we see, confess. We confess him to everybody that will listen and not in a, you know, not in a belligerent way, not in a kind of way that's offensive, but just like, hey, my life was this. (laughs) And now, man, it's different. It's a whole new life. And so what we're going to do right now is we're going to pray. I said last night, you know, I'm going to pretend that I'm you. I don't have to pretend that I'm broken. I don't have to pretend that I need a Savior and a Lord. And I certainly don't have to pretend that I want everybody to know that Jesus has changed my life. So I can pray that prayer, but if you need to pray this prayer for the first time, just pray with me as I pray. So Heavenly Father, first of all, thank you for being a generous God. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I'm broken and I need you. I believe that your son Jesus came into the world to rescue sinners and I'm one. I believe that he is Savior, my Savior. 
I believe that he's Lord, my master, my owner, my God. And right now, I I confess, God, that your son Jesus is my Savior and Lord, and I ask you to fill me with the Holy Spirit so that I can live every moment as a holy moment from this day forward. And right now, God, I pray for all of us who are here who already know Jesus, Savior and Lord, that you would pour your Holy Spirit fresh and new. Just as Paul says, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Let us be filled right now in this instant with your Holy Spirit that we can love and serve you, that we can love and serve each other. In Jesus' name, amen.